All right. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Fastlifts podcast, Fastest Fat Loss Part 6, which means it is the end of week five. Now, I'm going to give you an update on how my weight has gone. It's been a very good week, actually. Very, very good. And um, before I do that, the bulk of the podcast is going to be looking at the myth of starvation mode. That's what I want to cover today. Now, I've sort of talked about it a little bit on my social media, but as is the nature of Instagram and Facebook, you can only really get some short, sharp, snappy comments on there. If you really want to delve into the nitty gritty, it's better to put it into a podcast. So that's what I'm doing. This will be um, on podcast platforms and on YouTube. So on that note, if you are listening and you're a regular listener, or let's say you're new and you enjoy my work, interactions with the podcast are very helpful. Um, reviews are great. Reviews help to get um, my name out there. Talking of which, I, um, I've signed up to this chartable um, website, which looks at how popular your podcast is around the world. And I think recently I told you about how I was, I don't know, 74th or something in Denmark. Turns out um, I actually managed to crack 34th most popular um, education podcast in South Korea very briefly for um, like one Saturday, a couple of weekends ago. How cool is that? That's amazing. So yeah, I mean, obviously people are, are starting to listen to it, which is nice. And it's thanks to you guys. So if you haven't yet reviewed the, um, the podcast on iTunes, please do so because it helps out a lot. Um, five-star reviews, not interested in anything less than that. Um, so five-star reviews will be very good. But any kind of interaction is helpful, like likes, shares, apparently are quite a good thing. Um, subscribes are also quite a good thing. Um, will be really helpful. And if you enjoy it, then it helps me get my word out there. So, and thank you for everyone who has been sharing um, and liking and commenting so far. It's It's all been very much appreciated. All right, so let's look at the main topic of today, and it's the myth of starvation mode. Now, I believe the myth of starvation mode comes about from two major sources of frustration. And the first one is that typically um, people, well, let's firstly define what people think starvation mode is. Let's do that. I mean, you guys listening to my podcast, you're probably fairly high level, you know, thinkers because podcast people tend to be rather than like, you know, Instagram or whatever. So you probably know already, but I'll highlight it anyway. So, so um, the myth of starvation mode is that people believe that you can diet so hard and for so long and lose weight. But at a certain point, there's a break point which occurs after a certain amount of dieting or a certain severity of dieting. I don't know what. Um, it's not clear. <laughs> it's not clear from the myth of what exactly is going on in these people's heads. But they believe that at some point you can diet so hard for so long that your weight not only stalls, but you actually start to gain weight, which is really weird. So they believe you can eat so little. <laughs> that you can begin to gain weight somehow, which is amazing. I mean, if you think about it from a thermodynamics point of view, it's like, it's literally the production of energy. Um, and if you know anything about the, you know, about physics, that's actually impossible. So uh, imagine that, you know, we've been trying to create free energy for decades 
And, uh, you know, Karen from accounts has managed to finally solve it. <laughs> Quick, get to NASA. Uh, we've, we've solved the energy crisis in the world. We, all we need to do is starve Karen and she'll just produce unlimited amounts of energy. Starve Karen, stick her on a um, cardio bike. <laughs> she'll just produce energy magically because she's in starvation mode. Imagine if that worked. Bloody hell. Right. Anyway, that's what people refer to as starvation mode. Um, obviously, it's nonsense. Now, there are, I think people come about to, to that via two methods, two, two ways, two, two ways they come about to that way of thinking. So the first one is that they typically have quite poor dietary adherence and practices, which then leads to either slow or no progress. And, and potentially even after a certain point, gaining weight back on again. Now, you we've talked about the value of patience and having a plan and feeling control with diets before. So if I think these two come hand in hand, and I talked about control quite a lot last week. If you don't have a control of your diet, like if you don't really understand what's going on with your diet, if you're just trying to essentially just eat little for a long time then and not really be in control then that's going to lend itself to feelings of not really understanding what's going on because you're not in control. And when you're not in control, it's difficult to understand actually what's going on. So that could lead to some of these thoughts because again, it gets that nitty, nitty gritty point of whether one or 200 calories would actually make or break your diet. Well, you might just eat them because you won't really know what's going on because you're not in control. And all of a sudden you're back at maintenance and then somebody starts talking to you about starvation mode. So I think it, the first reason is it typically comes from poor dietary practices and adherence, um, of which I will actually discuss later because that's a large part of what this podcast is going to be about. Now, the second thing is there is actually some metabolic slowdown when it comes to dieting. So there is that. We know that um, I've seen studies to suggest that there is up to 15% slowdown in your metabolism within three weeks of hard dieting. So if we look at your average male who say got a maintenance of 2,500 calories, and if we take off 15%, that puts him down to 2,100. And that's, that's, that's quite substantial. I mean, there's no two ways about it. That is pretty substantial, right? So essentially, let's say your maintenance is 2,500 and you've gone into a hard deficit for three weeks. In the most extremely unlucky cases, some guys metabolisms will drop down to 2100. Now that's still 2100 calories they could draw from. But the point is there is a slowdown. And I believe that's what then causes people to think, okay, you know what, there's potentially um, starvation mode here. I think, I think because people have quite poor, typically have quite poor dietary practices, they don't really know what to eat. And they end up eating what they think is right. Like it might be, you know, a chicken salad from McDonald's with all the sauces. It might be chicken rice because they see the favorite bodybuilder, 300 pound bodybuilder eating it for a diet, both of which are actually really bad choices for a diet. Um, when, when they have to reduce those portion sizes down to the point where they lose weight, they're like, well, this is hardly any food. And I, that's what I was talking about when I mean poor dietary practices, because it's not just adherence, it's the way they structure a diet. So if you are a small female and you're using rice for the majority of your carbohydrate sources, that's a pretty bad idea because rice is actually relatively low volume and high calorie food in the grand scheme of things. Like it's not compared to, you know, cakes and pastries and stuff, but in the grand scheme of things, 
the reason bodybuilders eat rice is because they can eat a lot of it. It's Moorish, you know, it's relatively high carb, it's relatively low fiber, um, and it's got some nutrients. So it makes for a pretty good choice to eat a lot of. Um, it doesn't make for a very good choice when you're trying not to eat a lot. So that's what I mean by poor dietary practices is making the wrong choices. And I'll expand on that in a, in a, in a second. So anyway, I think there's two things here that lead people to think that they're in starvation mode. Firstly, it's this poor dietary practice, poor dietary adherence, um, both of which are separate topics, actually. Dietary practice is what I've just discussed about the wrong food choices. Um, dietary adherence is just not sticking to things, which can also be connected to poor practices in the way that I've illustrated that they may not believe how little they have to eat. Um, so they just end up going off plan or eating more than they intend to. So that's adherence. Adherence is how well you stick to something. Practice is, is how well your actual plan is, how, how good your plan is. So I believe there's both poor dietary adherence and poor dietary practice. And then also there is a metabolic slowdown. It's not going to stop you from losing weight, but it means you'll have to cut calories that much harsher. Like I can just give you an example from my um, past bodybuilding history. I remember when I was bulking back in probably late 2018, early 2019, and I was up to about 4,000 calories a day. Now, when I switched to a cutting diet, I had to go down to about 3,000 pretty much straight from the off just to see some weight loss. Uh, and that stalled out pretty quickly as well. So, I mean, that, you know, that tells you something that's a pretty substantial slowdown, you know? So not saying my metabolism slowed by 25%, but I needed to knock some off for a deficit. And then I needed to knock some off because my metabolism slowed relative to where it was when I was bulking, when it was absolutely firing fast. So yeah, there is metabolic flexibility, you know? So there is metabolic slowdown. It won't stop you from losing weight completely. You'll just need to go lower. Now, so that's the first thing. I've, I've sort of summed up what the myth of starvation mode is and I've summed up the two or three reasons how I believe people land to that conclusion that they are in starvation mode. The first is typically poor dietary practices, so eating the wrong things, uh, which then means they're just not able to sustain a deficit. Three is poor dietary adherence, which may be connected to the practice, just not sticking to the diet. And that might be connected to the practice because in the, they might not believe how little volume they have to actually eat with the food choices they think are right, okay? Like some people are always gonna insist on um, having, you know, like a bit of, uh, or yeah, they're always gonna insist on just having some quote unquote freedom with their diet. <laughs> like I had a client um, a few years ago and uh, he insisted on not prepping his meals. And he insisted on having a Greg's pasty sandwich, bag of crisp and Diet Coke for lunch. He insisted on that. Let's just say it didn't go very well for him. <laughs> so poor dietary choices, poor dietary adherence. And then finally, there is actually some metabolic slowdown. So there is that which compounds the above. But the majority of it is the above because that's all we can control. We can't really control the metabolic slowdown. And I don't really want to get into the chemistry of why the metabolism slows down today because I don't think that's necessary because there's not much you can do about it. Um, and I don't really want to go into the types of supplements you could take to do stuff about it because they tend to not be very good for you and mostly illegal. So that's what causes people to falsely believe they've stopped progressing while they're eating in a deficit. So they might be eating less than what they were used to before, but simply because the metabolism has slowed a little bit and also they tend to make the poor, poorer dietary choices and bad dietary adherence, 
ends up with stagnant fat loss. They feel like they're going at it and they're doing really well, but they've just walked themselves into a hole. All right, now I wanna flesh out a little bit about what poor dietary adherence is, and in doing so, talk about what better choices are. So firstly, the wrong food choices. Now, in terms of good food choices, or let's say bad food choices, what you want to be eating is, you, or you let's look at bad food choices. You don't want to be eating things which you can eat a lot of, <laughs> quite simply. I and mean, that's really the best way to put it. Um, so like not chocolate, for example, have cocoa nibs. Easy substitution. I, actually, I have cocoa nibs as part of my diet. It's great, lovely. Nice and crunchy, loads of fiber, keeps you full. Adds a nice degree of variety to the types of food you eat, which is great. Um, in terms of my vegetable sauce, like what takes up the majority of my plate? Like if I'm not eating a lot of rice or potatoes, what am I eating? Because rice potatoes, you can eat a lot of those. Like depending on how you cook the potatoes, but certainly the rice, you can eat a hell of a lot of it. But nowadays, I don't have really any rice as part of my meals. The large majority of my plate is vegetables, fully just vegetables. That's all it is. So I will have um, cauliflower, peas, carrots, all that kind of stuff. And that will be the majority of what's on my plate. So I just don't bother with the, the, the rice and the nice to cook potatoes anymore. I mean, there's nothing wrong with rice. I've said this before, but the thing is, if you want a massive plate of food to fill you up from one meal to the next, you may as well pick foods which you personally can eat a lot of for your personal caloric level. And that's, that's why I, I choose not to because the veggies, they, they give me a better chance of sticking to my diet. In fact, to be honest with you guys, right here and right now, they make the diet a breeze. <laughs> um, it's not been massively difficult. I had a much worse time when I was doing my contest prep due to my, due to my dietary choices back then which were mostly meat and rice. And that's a really bad idea. And oats, again, bad idea. You can eat a lot of oats. Um, so yeah, wrong food choices. Um, you've got to be able to, you've got to shift away from the mindset of, and of what is healthy in, in the typical sense and actually look at what works for you. So a bodybuilder would eat a lot of rice simply because most pro bodybuilders are massive, like 300 pounds in the off season. Also, People actually um, buy diet drinks like um, SlimFast, those keto drinks. I mean, I when I was a bulking bodybuilder, I would drink um, liquid calories to actually gain weight because they were an easy way of getting calories in. <laughs> and people are out there actually, actually buying that to diet on. It makes it's so backward. It makes zero sense. You know, you got to bear in mind these people selling you these drinks. They have a vested interest in you staying fat and, and or staying unhappy and keep coming back for more, you know, whether it's one company or another. So you've got to pick the right food choices for you to enable you to stay full. Now, there are guidelines, but in, in talking about those guidelines, you start to come across as sort of militant, like you can't have this, you can't have this. It's really not about that. And so I'm just going to go ahead and say it because if you, for you guys listen to my podcast, you know that I speak my mind anyway, so I don't really care <laughs> what people think. Um, so I'm just going to tell you what's worked for me because I think ultimately it's useful for you and that's why I'm doing this. So you guys 
get some value from it. So what works for me is a high degree of vegetables. Vegetables are far, far more satisfying. Pretty much with every meal, aside from if it's a um, sweeter meal. So I'll have a couple of meals per day, which will be savory, and a couple of meals, one or two meals, which will be sweet. Um, so in a savory meal, I might have anyway up to 400 grams of vegetables. Now that's a lot. I say that a lot, but I'd like you guys to measure it out. Like if you don't truly know what 400 grams is, go measure out, go pause this podcast, go to the kitchen, measure out 400 grams on the scale of vegetables and just see how much it is because it's a lot. I have that for every meal. That is the government five a day, which I have in every single meal. So I have that mainly because it makes for a massive plate of food. I have this huge bowls of food, huge. And um, the, I, I, I have these, these, these massive round bowls in my kitchen and I just fill them to the brim and over with food. Psychologically, it's very satisfying, but also physically it is as well. So veggies are typically far more satisfying and the types of veggies are mostly fibrous vegetables, okay? So I really prioritize cauliflower, um, peas, carrots, even sweet corn to a certain extent, um, broccoli is good, spinach is great, all that kinds of veggies are fantastic. Now, the next tier of what I eat are lentils, legumes, pulses, and beans. Those are all excellent. Now, they're not my direct sources of protein like they might be if you were vegan, for example, or vegetarian, but they are an excellent adjunct to the vegetables because they sort of cross multiple uh, zones. They're amazing for fiber. And you might even argue that they're actually more, they're better for fiber than the vegetables. You might, you might make that argument based on sort of calorie levels and volume and all that kind of stuff. So um, they're great for fiber. They also have some protein in them, which again is great for satiety. Okay, that's great. So you've got two big hitters there for satiety, protein and fiber right there in one. And they're also relatively decent on the carbs. So they're filling carbs. You know? So you've got you to have some carbs for energy. So they're filling carbs. So I'd rather get my carbs from lentils, um, legumes, pulses, and beans than rice because it's a better source to remain full. Again, not saying these are hard and fast rules. This is what I do. Okay, just trying to help. So I have a load of vegetables, um, about 400 grams per meal. In terms of my lentils, about so lentils, legumes, pulses, or beans, I'll have about 200 grams per meal. Then after that is when I'll have a protein source, and that'll usually be a couple hundred grams as well. And on that note, I typically these days tend to prefer a fattier cut of meat because if you look at the diet, well, there's not much fat in it. And that's a mistake as well. You don't want to go completely zero fat. You want a bit of fat in there because that helps to keep the food in your gut, helps to slow digestion. So you see that all of this is really directed towards keeping me as full for as long as possible, which is why the diet so far has been an absolute breeze. You know, it's been great. Um, so I've, it sounds like a very micromanaged diet. It's like, oh, wow, this is amazing. I couldn't possibly do this. Fast has got every base covered, protein, fiber, fat, everything. It's like, well, <laughs> let's just look at what I'm saying here. What, I've, what have I illustrated? A load of veg, and then on top of that, Half legumes, pulses, beans, or lentils, and half meat. It's actually very simply simple to implement, really, and it's delicious. So, yeah, the, that's what I do. Now, going back to what is a terrible idea, I talked about how chicken and rice is a horrible choice for most people, uh, and also like weight gainer shakes or diet shakes, or whatever they are. 
I'll also say that if it fits your macros is a particularly horrible choice for most people when it comes down to the wire, when it gets hard, okay? There are always going to be people who can, if it fits your macro, their way to 15%, always. There are going to be some who can, if it fits your macro, the way to 8%. There can be some who can do it to stage. And if that's you, congratulations. But odds are you probably don't need help getting lean. Odds are you're probably a competitive bodybuilder who's fairly used to doing these things and aware of it. But you have to understand you don't represent the majority of the population or even anything close. You are highly unusual in that regard. The majority of people will struggle to get down to 15% unless they have some sort of monotony in the large portion of the diet. Okay. So that's the, just want to add that proviso in. I don't think infrastructure macros is a particularly great approach when the going gets hard. When the going gets hard, you want to be on autopilot as much as possible. And so that is what will, what will increase adherence, being on autopilot and having things planned out, like I've planned them out here. It's a simple plan, but you know, it depends how complex you want to, you want to go into it. Really, I mean, I've, I've broken it down into some very complicated detail about all the macro groups and what we're eating and all that kind of stuff. So, but, you know, it's, it, it means that I'm at least taking care of things. Now, actually, I should finish that because there's a few more bits to the diet, which I should explain. So we've covered so far veg vegetables, lentils, and lean meats. Now, the other thing is one or two meals a day are sweeter meals. Now, these meals are also protein fiber heavy. However, they add a different texture. So whereas the uh, savory meals, they tend to be more of a sort of a smooth, chewy type of texture, particularly the meat and the lentils and all that kind of stuff. I find with the sweeter meals, I like to have a bit more crunch. And it's particularly satisfying to have that crunchy cocoa nibs or cocoa buttons. So I do use 100% raw cocoa. I get it from uh, bulk.com, which is great. They have nibs and they also have buttons. If I'm using buttons, I don't particularly like buttons as much as nibs. I prefer nibs because they're broken up and you get the crunch. The buttons are quite flat and they don't give you that satisfying same crunch. So it's about getting the texture in there. So I, I use with these last couple of meals, I'll usually have a couple of scoops away in a little bit of water to form a paste. And I'll put that at the bottom of the bowl. Then on top of that, I'll pile on cocoa nibs or cocoa buttons, but I'll usually snap the buttons up and then a load of fruit, usually berries. So strawberries, raspberries, blackberries, blueberries, all that kind of stuff. And that gives you a different texture as well. And it gives you a different taste. So in this meal, I've got the crunch of the cocoa and then I've got the sweetness of the fruit as well as the satiety of the protein and the fiber as usual. So again, it's fairly planned out, but there's a reason for that. It's satisfying and it's delicious. Now, just because it's planned out doesn't mean that it's restrictive because it's not, if anything, it's less restrictive. I don't feel like I'm on a diet most days. I just feel like I'm getting the job done. I feel satisfied and I get a wide variety of flavors. And that's all come from a bit of planning. I mean, in what other endeavor in life wouldn't you actually plan a little bit before you go somewhere? You know, like even if you're taking a family trip out to the woods, you'd plan a little bit. You'd look at the weather. You'd take the appropriate shoes if you're going to be in the mud or if you're not. You'd take maybe a picnic. You'd do some planning. Like there seems to be this stigma that like fat loss should just be this, shouldn't be planned because then it's restrictive. It's like, it's not, is it really? 
<laughs> I mean, let's be realistic here. You know, you've got to plan things in life a little bit. And I, I tend to think that myth probably comes from the your average 21-year-old who's fresh from university who's, whose life probably does represent um, just a picnic in the park <laughs> on most days and nothing close to reality. But, you know, you need a bit of planning, basically, is what I'm trying to say. And a bit of planning is not going to harm you psychologically. So the final thing that I want to say on how I plan, where the, what, you, what I recommend to you guys, or what I do anyway, is have some variety in your diet. Like, I don't really know what meat I'll be having on that day or what combination of vegetables or what combination of lentils, legumes, pulses, and bean, beans. I really don't. Or what fruit I'm having. I really don't know any of those things because it's whatever's prepped and in the freezer. I'll pull out. I'll prep a lot of stuff. I'll prep usually two or three different types of meat. Uh, and quite a lot of those portions, I've got a large um, chest freezer. And I'll just get something out that I fancy. That's it, really. It's all fairly automated. And in terms of the le lentils, legumes, pulses, and beans, it's whatever's made. I'll usually make one of those at a time, which will last for a few days. Whatever's made. Sometimes it'll be beans. Right now, what am I on? I'm on uh, brown lentils with spinach. <laughs> and I'll be on that for a couple of days. Great. Lovely. And just by the time I get sick of it, I'll be on to something else. I might make kidney beans next. I don't know, you know? And with the fruit, again, I've got about five bags of frozen fruit. They're all different in the freezer at any one time. Just go in and pick something you fancy. Mix them up even. Infinite amount of possibilities, really. Uh, you can grab a handful from every bag, you know, whatever. But the variety is helpful. It's, it's very, very helpful. There are a variety of not only foods, but textures, tastes it's all helpful you don't want to be so boring and I, I mean i believe i could get down to contest shape with this type of diet honestly and it's far easier than my contest prep diet which involved chicken rice and oats and all those traditional foods which people think are good to burn but are actually really calorific um which and which give you in the end less freedom so a bit more planning a bit more sensible food uh, choices gives you a lot so anyway I believe if people did things my way, this way, just to summarize this and take this back to the beginning, I believe if people had better dietary choices, it would lead to better adherence. And so they wouldn't really be at a point where they have to point their fingers to the myth of starvation mode because they would be in control. They would have a system. And this is you know, what I talk about a lot and what I've been telling people about is I've got a system of eating that I use. I've told you you know, what I do here, in terms of what my recommend, what I, what I do, I have more specific recommendations on not only what to eat, but how to eat for my clients. And I've been telling people, this is really what I'm trying to, to push at the moment, is this idea of having a planned, relaxed approach to dieting, all the things that I've been preaching. And I want to be able to teach those things to you guys. So yeah, I've got a very effective, very affordable group coaching model, which is backed up by an informational member site, which has all the information you need to actually diet and get in shape for good, for life. And all other, yes, as a very, very reasonable price. And all you guys need to do to get in touch is message me, you know, hit me up on Instagram, go to my website, fastlifts.co.uk. Just message me somehow. I'll get back in touch with you and we'll discuss. You can have a go at it. Let me teach you the system because the way that it's going for me, it's going very, very well. And uh, I can't see myself dieting like I used to or like, 
you know, my previous coaches um, sort of instilled in me because it just made for a very difficult diet. And I, I believe it probably made for a worse relationship with food. I have a far better relationship with food now, being more planned, being more structured. Okay. Now, last thing to do is to give you an update of how my fat loss is going. It's going very, very well, <laughs> really well. So I started the diet off with an average of about 85.62 kilos body weight, which was a little bit down from where it was previously. I think I was averaging about 87 a couple of weeks before the diet. This week, I'm averaging 80.34. So to put that into Americanese for my overseas listeners, I started off the diet at about 188 pounds, and I'm now about 175. Okay. So in terms of how much I've lost all together, if we just add this up week by week, 1.3 first week, 1.44 second week, 1.16 third, 0.5 second fourth. This week was 0.81. So 5.28 kilos lost altogether in about five weeks, which is nice. And that's about 11 pounds, six, 11 yeah, 11 pounds and six, 11.6 pounds. Um, brilliant. Great. So yeah, feeling really good. I've just broken down into the 79s. I, I think I'm only due another maybe three kilos. I'd like to see myself at 77, 76. I think it would be a big difference considering how much of a difference it has been to average at 80 now. I think by next week I should be averaging in the 79s. So we should see some pretty low readings in the 175s and I'll be pretty lean at that stage. But yeah, I mean, I've got seven weeks left of the diet. And to be honest with you guys, the way that I'm dieting now, I could keep this up for twice as long. You know, it's it's not been difficult. I'm nice and satiated. I feel good. So all good. All right, folks, I'm going to call it there. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed that. I will speak to you all next time. Take it easy.